This week on Trek, Mary Kill, crickets, monogamy, death. Next. Wednesday on UPN. It looks like we've got an epidemic on our hands. It's incurable. Each and every one of you will disintegrate. It's intolerable. We can't just let her die. Return to your quarters. No! And it has infected every member of Voyager. We've lost three more people. We've lost the doctor. We've lost Commander Chakotay. But is it a deadly alien virus or something even more terrifying? She's gone. Voyager. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Josh. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, a Star Trek podcast reputed to be an auditory aphrodisiac. This week, we continue to look at Star Trek's big swings, and I'm happy to have back the only human being who's written for both Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Doctor Who, just two gigantic big swings when you're talking about geek culture and writing its Emmy Award winning Joshua Pruitt. Josh, welcome back. Hey, great to be here, Brian. You've also got the uh, Last Comics on Earth book series, which is a New York Times bestseller. So I just want everyone to be aware of that. I think I mentioned this last time you were on for Star Trek Picard, Emmy winner, New York Times bestseller. You're, you're uh, in rarefied air. So, uh, uh, so far, so good. Till we get Shatner on, you're, you're, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> near the top. Well, wait, um, this is this is my area now. This is my. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, so we kind of were basking in nostalgia vibes the last time around Star Trek Picard season three, uh, but this time we're just doing a straight ahead, no frills about it episode of Star Trek Voyager. It's the 25th anniversary of Course Oblivion which was the 18th episode of Voyager's fifth season. It aired on UPN March 3rd, 1999. Teleplay by Brian Fuller with Nick Sagan from a story by Sagan directed by Anson Williams. And listen, I, I wanted you to be on for this one because you're a genre writer. And to me, this just strikes me as, you know, Star Trek is a genre unto itself, but this is like an incredible episode of science fiction horror. And oh, it just absolutely. so happens to have Star Trek slapped on the side of it. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, sum summary of what this episode is. It's something with Star Trek slapped on the side of it. <laughs> uh, Memory Alpha describes it as Voyager crew members begin dying. They make a startling discovery about their true identities. What Memory Alpha doesn't tell you, listener, is that it's a sequel to season four's Demon, an episode we haven't done yet here on Trek Mary Kill. And it's one in which I barely remember, uh, you know, 97, 98, 99. I am like, Deep in the trenches of being a high schooler, there's you hormones. Doing other really, things. Yeah, You're I got other things. things. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm checking in on Star Trek, but you better grab yeah, me, otherwise yeah, I'm yeah. like, whatever. I'm calling a girl. Um, but basically, <laughs> in that episode, Voyager lands on a class-wide planet, a demon-class planet that's inhabited by biomimetic biomimetic life forms. And so the sequel episode postulates what would happen if a mimic of Voyager and her crew simply left that planet thinking they were the crew of Voyager and were on their way to Earth. And uh, this mimic crew is actually better than our Voyager crew because they're able to actually come up with a warp drive that will get them home in two years flat. Uh, but then the radiation from this device begins to break down their molecules because they thought they were human, but they're not. And this radiation from the warp drive actually upsets the... The, what they're made of. So that's the the basic setup. Josh, you don't remember the first time you saw this episode. I usually ask questions. No, no, I would never seen it. I think uh, so. I graduated uh, high school in like 96. 
Um, and so what I remember, I've, I've lots of fun things to talk for Voyager, but in this case, I think by the time season four rolled around, I think I was like worried about college and I, you sure. know, like, like I think at that, like, so I don't, I don't think I've seen like it's, we're five and six, right? So this is yep. five season five. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think I've seen barely any of these seasons. So this was, this was a new watch. And mostly, mostly, I was standing there with my mouth open, going, "What is going on?" <laughs> Demon was not like a well-regarded episode right. at the time, right. which I do remember that I do remember not liking it. So it was a very bizarre. And so when it gets referenced in the episode, I was like, "Wait a minute, really? <laughs> okay." Uh, so that was that was a nice way of basically salvaging a, a forgettable episode. But before we get into the specifics of it, we should probably take a minute. You know, I'd mentioned it's a, it's a deeply genre episode. I mean, Brian Fuller, his sensibilities in Voyager, it worked out pretty well. But that guy, if you watch Hannibal at all, obviously, and there's Pushing Daisies and, and American mm-hmm. Gods and all the other stuff he's done. Yeah. Twisted Mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And a guy and a guy who and I think in your initial notes to me, like a guy who wants to take big swings. Yeah. So yeah, I think I, I, and and so I think the the concept is like awesome yeah like the 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 setup i think for this episode i think is so good but it's a it's a really great in my opinion it's a really great case study for the difference between your amazing napkin idea and execution with kate mulgrew with boogers on her face (laughs) so i think i think there's there's an interesting you know there's a difference between you know and this episode explores that dichotomy. <laughs> How do we get from there to How here? How do we yes. get from there to here? <laughs> yeah. And then end up, you know, a bunch of spaghetti leftovers in space. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick Sagan, the co-writer, also on the Voyager staff, is the son of Carl Sagan and a successful successful author in his own right. Have you two ever ran into each other at uh, no. writer genre conventions? Got into Whoa. like a West Side Story thing? No? Okay. All right. All right. I don't know. No, maybe if, one day maybe one yeah. day <laughs> seems like your turfs are yeah, near overlap. each other yeah there's some overlap there yeah then this is probably something that that is a reference that's outside of both of our spheres of influence mm-hmm. anson williams who is the director uh he also happened to direct the demon episode which is a nice i don't know oh, if that was intentional or not yeah, yeah but yeah. um he was potsy in happy days two references that just barely touched the fringes of my memory of like <laughs> i know that name and i know what happy days is yeah, yeah. um but it, for i think for most people it just uh, it goes over their edge agreed uh, yeah but i guess the equivalent would be like if one of the stranger things kids became a successful tv director. absolutely absolutely, absolutely. Would, yeah. yeah uh and anyway he got married last year at 73 so congratulations to Hanson hey! williams who i've worked very hard to not call anson mount <laughs> and all my notes and talking about it right now it's all um, capitalized and bolded don't do that okay yeah and then just uh one other thing my note it's very rare that star trek intersects with horror mm-hmm. and this am i wrong this is a horror episode yeah i think you're totally right what's interesting though because I, I i would agree with you however it's like some of my you know those early strongest memories of next gen is like, you know, the guy getting zapped in the head and exploding and he's sure, a, you know, but so so it's like when it does show up, it it because it's so rare, it's this gigantic punctuation point. Or it's like I remember seeing Khan in theaters way too young with my dad. I was probably six. 
the ears. And it's like the, the ear thing, man. Like that's never going to leave me forever. Like the rest of my life. Like I'm ho- hopelessly scarred, horribly scarred. By that. Do you remember the episode in Next Gen where they de-evolved? Oh my God, yes. And Worf turns into the proto-Klingon and he sprays Dr. Crusher with venom. And she grabs her face and she's screaming and kicking her feet. Oh, that scarred me pretty good too. I mean, the ears, Star Trek 2, you're talking about all, if you were to rank the horror things, it's definitely the ears are number one. That's gotta be number one. That's gotta be number one. Because this episode has affected me in the same way that Dr. Crusher kicking and screaming has stuck oh, with me. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, ending yeah. of this episode has stuck with me since yeah. the moment I saw it as yeah. like, what a profoundly, it's not something you can say about Star Trek very often, a profoundly sad ending yeah. that, that when you're a teenager, it, it you're not aware that it's touching on existentialism uh, yeah. or your yeah, mortality. You yeah. um, and now that you watch it and it reverberates and has all this stuff. So I just want to talk about this. And, and yeah. I think you're a great person to ask about this. Yeah. So Nick Saban observed Sagan, not Saban, not the football coach. <laughs> Nick Sagan, the writer says, I think it's an uh, an episode people either love or hate. Right. The hate category seems to say, why do we follow a crew that isn't even our regular crew? And then they feel cheated. But it really is the story about the poignancy of Voyager's journey. There's something about trying really hard and not being quite able to achieve it which is a reality to a lot of people. The episode about uh, the episode is about a need to be remembered, a need to be recorded. And that's the special tragedy about making a log, a time capsule. Uh, and we know that the demon crew dies. It's about loss and remembering death and grief. Okay. When I saw, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not A to Zing you on my thoughts here, <laughs> but I put in the notes. So I, I saw the re-release of Talking Heads Stop oh, Making yes. Sense, the yeah, greatest yeah. concert film of all time. Ever made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a shot in the movie and Jonathan Demme is an amazing director and he just directed Mm -hmm. the shit out of it. And obviously it was a great Mm -hmm. show, but there's a shot where it's just the band and their shadows, their silhouettes are on the wall and you're kind of like thrown back to the allegory of the cave or whatever. But like, it's just this idea of telling stories and it's just, why do we make things? Why do you write? Why do you create? You want to tell stories, but I'm going to guess you want to live forever. And this, that is a way of being immortal is creating something that can survive you and be told again and again. And I want to connect and you want to, you want to connect. You want to connect like the, like the whole idea of like, we aren't alone in the universe is inherent in Trek. And, and the idea is, I think that is why we create, we create so that it's proof that, Oh, we are not super different. There is not universes between you and I. We're closer than that. So I think that's, and, and, and I think that's a lot of, it's in the DNA of Trek is this idea that we can connect. And just because you have wrinkly stuff on your forehead doesn't mean that we can't get married. And, yes. you know, you know, like that, like, yeah, there, there's the, there's a simplicity in that, but I, yeah, a hundred percent, man. I mean, that's what it is, is that stories do outlive us. Hopefully. Hopefully. Absolutely. Well, I mean, Voyager, the the demon Voyager, you know, when the real Voyager comes upon them, they're just a puddle of goo and and they just become a footnote in the ship's the real ship's log as an unknown ship as nothing and could easily be forgotten. 
And so this episode kind of at the end of the day reminds us that our course really is oblivion <laughs> because like you said, we're hoping that the things we create outlast and, and go on forever. But we don't know. Butcher, but we don't know. And <laughs> I think there's two, I think there's two ways though, to, uh, to take Sagan's comment. I think sometimes it's, it's like we, as the writers just need to shut up and like <laughs> let, and just let the work speak for itself. But, but I think my first thought is, the episode itself is the log, right? The episode itself is the record. So we, as you know, the fourth dimensional audience, like sure. we, we get to experience the log. But I actually would argue that his point would have been better made if the capsule survived. In other words, they could still be obliterated. It's still a tragedy. You could still just have that you know the spaghetti mess in space the boogers in space and play that and them not know and then they get the capsule Mm -hmm. and then you end the episode because then you would end knowing that someone is gonna read that eventually and some of that story will be told but i i would argue that it ending in oblivion actually undercuts a lot of what he's arguing because that means that the it's it's not just oblivion it's feudal. Yes. And I think that goes against what makes Trek so special. I think like, there is we've run into this a couple of times Tuvix is like maybe the main example and mm-hmm. this is maybe in that same arena, same arena where they where the writers of Voyager got locked into a very specific ending. They wanted you to feel some kind of way, a certain way, a certain way. And then that's it. And that they just stay on that. And we're definitely going to talk about it in the grades here where I think, I think what the episode misses to actually sell, like what you're saying, what it was trying to sell uh, gets missed by some of the drama that they pass up on for whatever reason. So a couple of times. And that, I think that that's also, I think that's a great observation because there's a couple of times where, it seems like there's an opportunity for that drama and they don't do it. Yeah. And so they they're clearly making a choice to restrain themselves or pull back or stop. And then I think that actually it doesn't hold together as well because of that. I I just kind of feel like knowing what we know about the writers cuz you know they've been interviewed decades yeah. and yeah. watching the show as it played out I just don't think they had the emotional intelligence maturity that- to yeah. to use television as the medium to explore it. There was no new idea that crept out from the cool concept they had and the yeah, pretty I, I really good structure that they had. Yeah. And yeah. Maybe that's something, you know, Fuller after his experience working on Star Trek and feeling limited, he probably just started, you know, doing shrooms and like expanding his mind and taking his cool ideas and finding other avenues to explore them. I and, and, and putting heart into it. I mean, that's yeah. the thing is yeah. that like, um, you know, pushing daisies is about heart first and foremost. It's got yeah. a great high concept, but sure. it's like the the core of that is about love. So, so the idea that like that's an alien concept to him is like I don't buy that. Like, yeah, I no, I I agree, and I, agree. I know you don't, right? Like, yeah. I like so so the idea that it's it's surfacey in this episode makes me go, eh, okay. Yeah, and they were probably network constrained, et cetera. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Let me run through some specific thoughts before getting grades. Um, the and I original... have some random stuff to pitch to you oh, when you're done. Excellent. Yeah. This, uh, the original concept that kicked around was a two parter in which this mimic crew made it to Earth. 
mm. um, which would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken Biller, who wound up being the showrunner, I think by the end of the show and wrote the series finale Endgame, he was a producer on this show. He was, uh, he said there was some discussion about whether it was too bleak at the end. I had mm-hmm. written a version where they actually get that time capsule out. The real Voyager does come along and the duplicate ship is gone, but they do find the time capsule. So that was at least considered, but Nick Sagan was a supporter of ending some episodes tragically offered. There was some resistance. One of the original things we talked about was that our Voyager would originally make contact. It would be a moment that like kind of what you said, it would be a more conventional thing, encountering aliens. And then there's a moment of understanding. Mm-hmm. I was adamant about the importance of the near miss that they didn't actually meet sort of there, but for the grace of God, go I. Hmm. And uh, the writers also wanted to leave certain issues unresolved. We didn't want to answer a lot of questions, Ken Biller stated, like how long has that ship been out there? Some of the episodes that we saw earlier in the season, was it that crew or was it the real crew? It's kind of intriguing to think about. I actually think I agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's something I don't really think about, but at the same time, if you want to, I like the idea of like, well, it could be. Um, anyway, uh, and this is a rare Star Trek episode that where there's no credited guest stars. Um, right. I just put this in here because I, I wanted to talk about the episode they mentioned. This is the first of two consecutive episodes. This is like the perfect memory alpha note. It's the first of two consecutive episodes to feature no scenes with the real Neelix, but only an alternate version of him. He next appears as an illusion in Chakotay's mind in the fight. That is like the 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 boxing episode of Star Trek. And it's I kind of remember liking that one. I thought that one was Mm kind of neat. I can't wait to. I just think that's so interesting. Like and I I don't because we're past uh, episode 100 at this point. Yes. Yeah. Technically. Timeless was 100. Yeah. That was 100. Yeah. Yep. So, so like in my head, officially, once you get to 100, like you, you're doing multiverse, you're doing duplicates, you're, you know, you're doing, um, you know, Spock with a beard, like, like that. There's, there's like a, it seems to be like, a, there's like a natural progression yeah. where, like, this is what happens, like yeah. you know, like the, the, there is a. <laughs> like a natural ebb and flow to this stuff where you go, well, what if, and then you're in like duplicate city. So I think it's really interesting that you point out that like they do it twice with the same character. Like, (laughs) well, I do like the idea. Neelix isn't real. I would like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's an imaginary show and he's imaginary inside of that show. (laughs) He's the great kazoo of the show. Last two things. This yeah. episode features the fourth of five times that Voyager is destroyed or depicted being destroyed. The oh. other ones, Deadlock, Year of Hell, Part 2, and Timeless. The episode features seven. This is the seventh of nine times that Janeway's death is depicted. The previous ones were Time and Again, Deadlock, Before and After, Worst Case Scenario, Year of Hell, Part 2, and Timeless. So this, right, is, the, you... this is the Jerry Ryan of the Janeway's death episodes. So this the is Jerry the seven Ryan. of nine. This is the seven of nine. <laughs> That's right. You said it right there. It's seven That's of right. nine. That's right. <laughs> All right. What did you have? So there's so there's just funky things that I just wanted to kind of point out. Like one was just acknowledging that we're 18 episodes into season five. And the idea of a show having five seasons in 2024 is such a foreign concept. So I think that's the first thing that I just want to acknowledge. Um, And, you know, yeah. And like I said, we talked about the, you know, like alternate duplicate multiverse world. Like this is everything becomes crisis on infinite earths once you get into season five because you're 100 episodes deep. Like that's just what happens. Um, 
I love, as you pointed out, I love that they solved the problem of the entire series in the first five minutes. And you're going, wait, what? They're already they they're getting to Earth and they're talking about taking little vacations like <laughs> yeah. on the way. Like in in some ways, I think, and like I, I could be spec I'm totally speculating, but part of me feels like there's an element of satire in this episode that I'm not sure was given room to breathe. And that for me is the first piece of evidence because they're taking the central conceit of the show and they're going, solved, next. And like that, I, me, yeah. like to me, that that's a setup of like, oh, we're re- we're gonna mess with you for the next forty one minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, no, I and- I agree. There's a lot of uh, stuff I didn't mention, but like they felt kind of unencumbered. They're like yes, these aren't our sure. characters, so we can so write we can do whatever. different versions of them. Which I, yeah. to me, it just winds up being like these are the sharpest versions of the characters yeah so yeah. i don't know that i i don't feel like they actually got the freedom to write them differently they just somehow no. wrote them better that's how yeah it, <laughs> it, well and in some ways if they almost they're, they're heightened that's what they feel like yes that's they fair. feel like that's heightened fair. versions mm-hmm. of the characters um but there's but there's something about it that i want to come back to um okay the also the voyager uh theme song i just for the record it it might be my favorite Goldsmith's theme is like the one, if you checked my iPhone, that would be the one that plays the most. Hmm. Um, I adore this theme. Um, but I think one of the, like there's other little things that I just adore, um, but not even my favorite stuff, just things that I just were noteworthy as I was watching. Um, one was as a writer, there's too much good news up front. So when Janeway's <laughs> doing her update, they're like, this person's having five babies. These people yep. are getting married. <laughs> This guy won the lottery. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Like, it, it's just like, oh, there's something really gonna wrong with this ship because there's yeah. no way. Like, oh my God. And also, part of me feels like leave it to Brian Fuller to, to make um, wedding rice look like an infection yes. that can destroy an entire Oh my spaceship. gosh. <laughs> like, so it's perfect. so crazy. <laughs> There's there's this hilarious like anti marriage like marriage ruins all things like under <laughs> it's hilarious it's so but that's what that there's like there's like a, a camp and a satire to this episode that like kicks us off and then is slowly kind of removed mm-hmm. until until we get to the final scene in the ready room where we have booger people. Oh and man! Everyone looks so gross, yep. and I wish I was a fly on the wall in that room because they are either totally miserable or just breaking character constantly in that <laughs> sequence. Like that—that's the behind-the-scenes outtakes that I would yes. die because, like, Mulker like can't even barely talk. No, like, she's I'm like sure, Phantom yeah. of the Opera, like covering <laughs> like her mouth. Like, oh my god, man! Ethan so Phillips that... and Jerry Ryan are just like wet. Oh they're my just... god! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're, no, they like they're they're they they're like they came out of like like makeup or no, not makeup. They did um oh what the heck is the thing? They have spa treatments. So yeah. the whole crew has spa treatments. That's true. Treatments. They do look like they've been exfoliated. They do. After the makeup's been put on. Yes. They're like, "No, we don't have time to take the cucumber off your eyes. Just get to set. Just get to set." Oh, one other thing, like this is just noteworthy to me as I was watching just seven catching the bouquet, Tuvok cracking wise. Like that moment 
in some ways I was thinking of as like a, it's a TNG moment where it, and, and in my mind, it's they are comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. So what, what I thought of just that simple interaction was we know who these characters are. We know what their reactions are. Of course, Seven's going to catch the bouquet because that's the greatest point of irony. Like Kim catching the bouquet is not ironic. Like there's no joke there. Right. So that I just thought was like a lovely tableau where it's like, hey, this is where we're at. We're 100 episodes deep. Like this is who these characters are. So so it's like you're identifying and you're recognizing and then stuff is going to go off the rails. <laughs> well, I think then let's launch into the great scenes because yes. that first scene I had as the great scene, the teaser, the, the wedding and everything for yep. the exact reason you said. It's just Tuvok's a Vulcan and he's saying talking about logic and you know yep. all this stuff. And it, it is a tableau. It's everyone just being... Uh, you know, making the the normal hacky jokes, not right, like the writers are hacky, but like mm-hmm. the normal thing of like, now you can kiss the bride now, Tom. Like he's so ah, eager ah, and all that stuff. Ha ha. And everyone's having a great time. Tom, you're so horny. Ah, ha, 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 and I think it's a beautiful scene because it's if you if you rewatch the episode, but yeah. it's like it's telling you this is how good these mimics are at mimicking. Oh, yes. Our, not just our crew, but like the people they've become like yes, yes, this much. is this yeah. is it they are them it's very real yeah. uh so there was kind of a, a weird poignancy to it mm-hmm. um and I, it is weird that this episode the cast feels very relaxed in their roles very and much i wonder if that just has to do with like well you're playing you know you're dead yeah like yeah 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 so yes. there is no anxiety about what's next this is from the actor's standpoint it's a one-off Right. We know exactly this is all self-contained. We don't have to like, what am I playing here? I'm mm-hmm. this and I'm that. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any other thing in the, I mean, I really, I even thought that, you know, Bilana was pretty calm. Uh, Tom Pear, Robert Duncan McNeil. I thought everyone really gave great performances. It's a very lovely moment. And, and it was pretty chill, not like frantic. Like you might no, think. Lulling you are. into a false sense yeah. of security. Like a horror movie though. To your initial point, like I think that there it does have those shapes to it for sure. I and I think you're right about. I wonder now. I'm trying to run through Hannibal in my mind. Did did he use that shot of the rice falling <laughs> or something on something? It's just it sounded like raining. It sounded like rain you when may, it clinked on the metal. So it's almost like have. rain on the parade is coming. Or just but I, just like yeah, yeah, it's great. Weddings ruin everything. <laughs> I love the marriage chat between Bellana and seven that also felt like primo trek to me primo modern trek like mm-hmm. these are actual lived in characters these are people and they're gonna have this convo and seven is horny and you know Bellana is well i'm just getting married it's no big deal like that felt great and and still again in in the farthest future we can think possible we still have to bend down and crawl through grates and we still have to be Bruce Willis in the, in the ventilation duct, no matter what. It's funny I just, because I love that. In, I love that. next gen, they had Jeffrey's tubes where you could just yes. walk. Yeah. Like not, it wasn't exclusively the crawl ones. Nope. It's just, it's, it's, that's also a classic Trek trope, but that scene yeah. was also wonderful. And uh, I think toward the end, the other, my other kind of favorite thing is 
you know, biomimetic uh, zombie Janeway. I just can't. Every every time she's got that shit on her face, I yeah, just, that... I'm just like, oh, she's got like a shit-eating grin underneath all those boogers. Like, right. Well, if you're not so watching, if, you, if you're just listening to us and you didn't watch it, the crew starts to break down. So they yeah. start to all start to wear these makeup appliances, yeah. which look like... Um, like they've got you boogers, have, yeah. They, like they, mucus, a, a cross between boogers and then like if you flip over a coaster and it's the black rubbery side <laughs> yes, of it, like yes. it's just you know they're, they're an old pizza down. restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Or old, or, yeah, exactly. Old yeah. Uh, pizza that's been sitting out. Yes, that's uh, the, the guy, the the, the shapeshifter pizza. from uh, Last Starfighter. Oh, okay. Um, or or Odo. Or Odo yeah, yeah, they all have a little bit of Odo on their face, yeah. and it does start to get. Like I think you have a right campy with how intense yes. it gets for some of them. Um, I think they Definitely. did have a lot of fun with that. But you know, and then also Kate Mulgrew makes the decision to start speaking slowly because they're breaking oh my down. Gosh! So it almost gets in the way of what I had as my next great scene. So after yeah. the the teaser, the, yeah. I mean, the scene with Bolana and Seven and Nine when they're investigating, I didn't yeah. think that was a bad scene. I just yeah. have a high, me personally a higher level for a great scene. <laughs> like, sure. But, sure. And and the, and. And uh, it was the dinner scene where Chakotay meets Janeway. And it's the first scene where they have the conflict of basically like turn the ship around. Yeah. And yeah, Jane, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not real people. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Janeway's like, uh, no, I don't think so. And, and it's a classic Janeway Chakotay scene. It's an abusive relationship. I've, a little I've bit. landed on this. A, li- a little bit. Yeah. Because yeah. Janeway's always like, I respect your opinion and I want your feedback. And Chakotay, divorcing myself from how I feel about Robert Beltran the, in public, but Chakotay is always like, I'm bending over backwards to yes. be as much on your side as possible. Very true. Because I actually get what you're going for. Like, I understand. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah. He's, then she's always emotionally manipulative. The moment he questions her th- like she's like i have three pillars or three planks of my platform here and the one platform is the one everyone's saying not to do that's the one i most want to do yep yep <laughs> that's always their their dynamic but i i kind of liked it it just felt like oh the even the the mimetic life forms are just aping this exact uh dynamic it's pretty great yeah the t1000s yeah yeah pretty much uh <laughs> and then i have four more and then uh the next one i had was Janeway and Chakotay, their next argument scene is in the ready room. I oh, this yes. might have been after the attack by the mining ship where they try yep. to land yep, on I an alternate so. classified planet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um and Chakotay is saying like people are starting to remember life before Voyager. Yeah, and, and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I said, what a creepy thing that they didn't totally. build on and, like, or do anything with. And that is the that's the big miss on this big swing, because yep. I think Agreed. it would have given the episode the soul that it's missing, mm-hmm. that the the rug pull or the sad ending would not just be mm-hmm. the 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 tragic ending for the sake of a tragic ending. It would have genuinely been tragic mm-hmm. if, if like Janeway wakes up from a nightmare cause she's remembering being an ooze and she's like, I've gone from an ooze to being a captain of a starship. And uh, I, you know, I went from, yeah, I don't want to stop. That's in there. That's in the text. She could say, don't we all want to be better than a puddle? No. Don't isn't this whole and thing. Like, and it's like, even that it's that close, right? There's moments yes. where it literally looks like they cut that line out. Yeah. 
Like there's, there's, right, because she does start to say that. Uh, yes. Maybe the yeah, maybe the network was like, it's just too sad. It's too depressing. Yeah. Or we got to cut for time, or yeah. no one's gonna get it. You know. And the, but I do like Chakotay's line. I mean, that's the the part of the drama, most dramatic point of the scene. He goes, "Home isn't Earth." Like right. he's trying to tell her, like we are not these people. And then he dies. So. Yeah, yep. amazing. <laughs> and then Paris suddenly decides, well, if Chakotay's dead, I don't have to be a jerk anymore. Yes, uh, we, we didn't even really get into any of that. But yes, there's yeah. some, you know, once they start to realize that they're like, why are we even following orders? What does it matter? Which they could have done more with that. Oh, my God. And that's almost kind of there after Bolana dies and Tom Paris is acting like whatever. And Harry's trying to comfort him. Yeah. And he's like, who cares? She wasn't my wife. None of this is real. Yeah. And it's like, but th- that's <laughs> nothing means anything. It, a- everything no. means what the what meaning we give it. Yeah. And the episode the, does. Yeah. It doesn't do it. It's no. the special warp drive of missed opportunities. <laughs> that that is the warp drive that was installed in this episode. <laughs> so they got to their they got to an uninteresting place very quickly. Is very what you're saying quickly. with the warp drive? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they overshot. They oh, they're going too fast. I yeah. think I forgot to put this down in my notes, but I actually did like the whole sequence of Chakotay and Tuvok starting their investigation, looking back at Voyager's. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah, intercutting yeah, 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 yeah. with Bellana going badly, you know, things going badly for Bellana. The the very surface level Tom Paris has their honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what he's talking about. That's just like 80s, 90s schmaltzy drama. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think that's another way of like dancing or alighting the actual weightier issues mm-hmm. of this episode. If if she dies, like here's the emotional thing. Her dying is like, that's a big deal. Uh, not just because it's his wife, but because it's like, wait a minute, if she's dead and then he finds out that she wasn't who she was, then that means he's not who he was. But those feelings he had, does that mean they were real or not? Is he capable of love or is he just, you know what I mean? Like love is very powerful. And, and to question, is it something that's even real? That's enough. Tom Paris could have been an emo boy. Really, he could oh, have yeah. become a, an agent of chaos. But again, show. it literally seems like that line is the next line, and they <laughs> and it's not there. Because if he's saying you're not the captain and she wasn't really my wife, the next line is, and I'm not me, so I'm gonna go put on civvy clothes and I'm gonna go sit it right. Like there's yeah. there's a thing, there's a progression, yeah. and we don't go. Uh, I might as well jump out an airlock. Who knows if I'll even die if that happens? You know, like, what does it matter? Um, Oatmeal can survive in space. (laughs) That's right. Uh, And then, and then, I mean, we are, we've been talking about it. We got to bring it up again. The briefing scene where they're all breaking down. Oh my God. Weeks away from the demon planet. The doctor has gone offline. They're all sitting around in bad shape. It is exactly what you said. Now, I mean, I, I wrote down in my notes. It's a little funny, but it's mostly very sad. But I think you're right. They're like, to them making it, it's hysterical. It has got to be they <laughs> like they barely must have got through that scene. That that's what I think. I think they barely got through that scene. Because they are all well, actually, I should say this. Cable Grew is an amazing actor. And oh, yeah. she is she and Ethan Phillips, who's like he's you know, a little mirthy guy, a comedian yeah, yeah, and funny yeah. guy. They're the two I think are in on the joke. Yeah, absolutely right. I, I think Jerry Ryan, because Jerry Ryan, the whole time she's on Voyager, she's like, yeah. Mulgrew wants to kill me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to, like, do a good job. I'm trying and to survive. I'm trying to yeah, survive. Yeah, and Jerry Ryan's great in every scene, always, because always. she's great. She's wonderful, and, yeah. 
And I think Garrett Wong is actually really good in this episode. I think yeah. we're saying this. Everyone's really good in this episode, surprisingly. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. But he's not in on the joke. He's not capable of that level. He's not. He's not playing. He's not playing. And and also, like, Seven disappears for most of the episode. So yes. she literally is gone. And then she comes back. And then she's got, you know, sauna face on. Yeah. She went to Burke Williams. She went she's... to Burke Williams. She ordered an extra side of guacamole and that is, and they put it on her face. <laughs> well, she had to like offload all those nanoprobes. That's right. Which how cool are the, the medic beings that they're like, they're mimicking Borg nanoprobes. Exactly. Oh Why haven't the God. Borg assimilated those, the, that, those life forms. That seems pretty valuable. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Uh, so that I kind of really just think like the last act it's pretty yeah, yeah, great because yeah, yeah. you start yeah, yeah, yeah. with that scene. We're getting the damage report. They're trying to launch this buoy. Uh, you know, Janeway dies. They think they found the real Voyager. And the buoy the real... doesn't work four times. It's yes. the fun. It's it's so funny. Yeah. Like again, if you if you look at these scenes through, and again, horror and comedy are very similar, right? Structurally. Yes. yes. So like like Jerry has a couple of lines in there, and God bless her. She is selling the holy shit. And it's like, if you added like a Benny Hill theme underneath those the four attempts to get the capsule out, yeah. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah, It is so like, there's a new problem all the time. And certainly there is a, that is a staple of TV drama and Trek. Yeah. But like, it's, it, there's a point where I went, no, it's not. There is no <laughs> catalytic converter problem. No, there's no way. There's no way. Literally, the ship is melting around you. Right. And there's a line. There's a line in there, Brian, where it's like, well, I, I think it, Garrett says it, but it's something about the oxygen. They don't need oxygen. They're oatmeal yeah. people. Right. Why do they need oxygen? Like, it's the, it's so strange. It's so strange. I really think... It's a tough thing because you said you wish there was more humor in here. And I yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe I maybe kind of agree, but I'm like the 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 ejector sequence of the time capsule, which Seven of Nine has constructed from parts that aren't were not made in Voyager. Very clever because Yeah, of by the way, that was added in ADR. I bet you yes. twenty dollars. <laughs> That's we're true. Not... Back is turned oh, to win. Okay. 100%. Uh, so yeah. what <laughs> but it just seems like that would have been a moment for Harry Kim to say like, let me get this straight. This thing is some a a, a wittier way of like yes yes it's yes stuck yes. in this it's stuck in a melting chamber. How is it going to be destroyed? Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, it's yeah. like wait a minute the one the only thing that works that's not breaking down is this launcher and it's destroyed yeah. the only and other it's thing destroyed the only other down. thing <laughs> it's not breaking down. Man, uh, but also to, to your point, and this probably just would have cost extra money too. Like. The time capsule could have just gotten lodged and they just couldn't launch it because the door is sure. mushed over or something. And then when the yeah. ship melted, when the real Voyager goes away, you could have just had ended on a shot of the beacon blinking or something. Yeah. And then it would have been, been like, there. yeah, maybe someone will find it someday. Yeah. You know, I and, think, that I, been... and again, I think that's actually more in line with the themes of what they appear to be doing. Yeah. Because, because it's, it's not, that it's, it's not that, Everything is futile and being made of guacamole is futile. 
If that's not <laughs> what the thing is about. Like that's not what this episode you is about. You keep saying that, but listen, when if I heard beings made of guacamole, I'm like, that's one of the higher purposes in this universe. You're like, I'm what in. amazing beings you've yeah. left. You've made They're the universe very a better place. Popular yes. in college, <laughs> they were very popular. <laughs> Uh, all right, so those are all. I mean, that's a lot of the episode. I thought there was just good, great sequences. Hey man, you said this is one of your favorites, so a lot of these yeah. scenes are your yeah, one hundred percent. But I think it's kind of what the the agony and the ecstasy of Voyager is that it's the best of Brandon Braga's uber plottingness. Mm -hmm. Like it's all very interesting plot turns and ideas yeah, yeah, yeah. that will frequently undercut like genuine emotion it's hinting at Got sometimes it. he can sometimes they voyager because this was a brandon braga episode but he was like the showrunner or high yeah, up, yeah yeah that yeah. sometimes he can infuse it with like there's like a good emotional through line through there but it, it always yep. always with his stuff it always seems secondary yep and here it seems like this episode is very much actually really they, they may want to deny it but it's really about emotions yeah it, it is it, well here okay here's here's my Here's my pitch to you, Brian. If this was on DS9, it would have been the straight horror episode. If this was on Enterprise, it would have been the camp hilarious episode. Yeah. Like, like yeah. just thinking about on a continuity, right? Yeah. Like, if this was on DS9, it would have been, like, way more serious. And those camp overtones that we're picking up would be totally absent. And it would be Shakespearean and it would be right. Like it would be very serious and it would have those horror elements and it would be chilling probably at times. And, and, and in a different way, I feel like, Absolutely. and I think there's something about Voyager would like, would sit, it kind of sits between like yes. those poles. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, this, this episode in particular, like, it it kind of sums up the thing about Voyager is that Voyager kind of at its best is its own thing, but it is a mix of these in a, in a different way. The best episodes of Voyager actually are the ones that are portable to the other series. Agreed. Agreed. And the ones that you could do with any of the other crews actually kind of make the best Voyager episodes, which is in a way damning with faint praise a little bit, but yes. Um, but I think the way, the reasons why it's Voyager, it's like, if this had been the next generation and Picard was presented with the same thing, they're immediately turning right back around and going to the demon planet. Yeah. Uh -huh. Only Janeway is the one that's like, we got to keep going. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. <laughs> you know, sure. Yeah. Archer would have gotten them caught up in something stupid. Yeah. You know, yes. yeah, Cisco would have probably, Cisco's always Cisco and Kirk are always like there's got to be a way to fix what the situation is so we can That's keep right. going. That's Janeway right. was the problem with this one. I think for Janeway was that she didn't have another idea. And yeah. usually the ones where Janeway's being as stubborn as a mule, she has like an idea of what she wants to do. She has something else. Yeah. And yeah. in this I, one, they, that was one of the ways they undercut her. And that I think is one of the, the failings of this episode is, they end up leaning into this like, well, you're not even the captain thing. And it, it feels it feels like a, a plot contrivance from a, a younger show, 
not well not, and they could have um, if they had had her wake up from a nightmare remembering when she was a pool of goo it would have yeah. uh explained all of her indecision suddenly definitely, it would definitely. have explained her not wanting this is to the go worst back thing that i could yeah. ever imagine you know it would have been it would have made more sense for the audience to really make it agree uh, all right best trek tropes uh i think that i just have one my favorite my favorite is Special engine, you know, a new drive has <laughs> yes. special problems like that. Like, I'm just like, yes, I'm like, yes. Like, there's this funny thing in Doctor Who, uh, Terrence Dix, who was the story editor um, from John Pertwee. So from third doctor into fourth doctor. And one of the things that he learned from some of the previous showrunners um, was this idea that there's only like really three or four episodes of Doctor Who. There's like. Um, uh, you know, a colony, uh, 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 there's a, it's like assault on precinct 13. There's a raid, you know, it's people in one location and they're being attacked. And then there's like an episode where, you know, there's a colony and the people on the outside, the natives are a challenge, right? So there's only whatever, three or four, right? Um, but this is one of those classic Trek tropes. We have new tech, so exciting. The new tech creates a problem and, <laughs> and, the, I think one of the things that's aggravating to me about it in this case is that that is that's where the solution should have come from, but they were so determined to not have a solution. Like that's the thing is that they have a, a funky progressive drive. The drive should have been the thing that could have helped stabilize them long enough to get the message to the crew to get the capsule out. That 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 to me felt like again because they were so focused on that ending, it's like it, for me it's like it's it's more inherently Trek where you take the problem and you take it and you turn it into a solution. I think yeah. that was one of the things about third season Picard that they did really beautifully, uh, and Strange New World has done this too. Like to me, that's a defining characteristic. So it's that's what's interesting about this episode and why and why I can see why you like it so much and I think why I get frustrated by it is because it has these elements where you go yes woohoo yes I'm in let's go I'm popping the popcorn and then guacamole yeah what's happening there's something about the math that that doesn't work out though because a trip back to the demon planet should not take. If they're going to be in the Alpha Quadrant in two yeah. years and just 10 months earlier they were in yeah. by the Demon Planet, then this is not a trip. And uh, so anyway, that was... Uh, yeah, uh, no, absolutely, yeah. I had a few, which... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Captain Janeway is as stubborn as a mule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's... A, I think it, it worked for like... I'm giving it more credit. Maybe it was in there. But mm-hmm. the fact that she does actually say that line to Chicote, like what being goo or nothing, like that was at least something in there. But almost it, to there. Explain it her was stomach. almost there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It at least explained her stubbornness a little bit. A little bit. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Tuvok saying sensors. Mm-hmm. I know it's a big lower deck so thing. That so people, good. But so it's good. great. So it's good. just, yeah, it's so consistent. Good. Yeah. Uh, so I, I actually do like fake Harry Kim being loyal to Captain Janeway, even after yeah. it's revealed yeah. in our real. Um, yeah. And then the next one is one uh, special thanks to a uh, previous guest of ours, Marina Kravchuk, for alerting me to this, which I was actually not aware of. But there is a supercut on YouTube, and I will send it to you, Josh. Oh. And I'll put it in the notes. 
um, that there is a some kind of in this case, some sort of subspace radiation, but someone put together a supercut of all the times in Star Trek Voyager where they say some kind of blank, some kind of this, some some oh, kind hilarious. of weapon, some kind of trap. You know, it's just the writerly smoothing yeah, yeah. out of a tech of thing. Smoothing and, out. So so those listening, uh, uh, Bolana Torres, when she's explaining what's going on to them, the special warp drive is putting out yeah. some sort of subspace radiation that's causing yep. them the, the, the problems. Um, it's number 321 on the supercut. There are 393 instances on this. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Worst Trek tropes. I have two, uh, but you go first. Uh, I, I think my, my big one is the whole episode. My, <laughs> my, my big one is they're all fake. Like just the, just like as a, as a high concept Hail Mary pass. Um, but then the other one, the, and this is, it's tiny, but it just, I just, it just tickled me was, uh, the Ord mining ship firing and then Janeway just exhaling out to commercial break <laughs> that, that I was just like gold. I'm like, frame that, put that in the Smithsonian. I yeah. agree with you that the camp vibes and the, the, this show has been on for so long and everyone's kind of sick of writing the same beats. Like I, and and the actors are sick of playing the same beats. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's all there. It's, it's all there. Very, very clear. Um, yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. So my two were calling out shield percentages. Oh, beautiful. Who, well done. Who, who gives a shit? Well uh, done. Well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, what is the difference between yeah. 60 and 30%? Right. Really? Right. Like, right, are we yeah. like, is someone else going to die or five yeah. people? What, what, what? It's really that it got Voyager burned me out on it. I think there was a oh, point where when I was younger where I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay yeah, with yeah. it. Like if yeah, the yeah, enterprise yeah. D and Worf saying shields are down to 70%, I'm like, I don't want anything to happen to the enterprise. That's too low. <laughs> That's too low. But every time Voyager oh, got it yeah. down to 50%, who cares? So <laughs> it's funny. a small ship. So um, and then the other one, Tom Paris's fetishization of 20th century earth. I, I'm oh not, my God. I, yeah. I don't grok that, that element of his character, which is the only yeah, characteristic I mean, he has. Right. Um, other than being he, like, whatever captain. And always saying his lines breathlessly, which just, I don't know what that's all about, but uh, he wants his honeymoon to be a simulation of Chicago in the 1920s. And he Definitely. tells her, wait till you see it. Crystal Definitely. chandeliers, wall to wall, Italian marble. We'll take a drive up Michigan Avenue in a vintage Duesenberg, hobnob with the stars of the silver screen, dance the Charleston in a genuine speakeasy called the Green Mill. Who cares? This no, isn't so, romantic at all. It sucks. No, so she's all, what am I wearing? Yeah. He's like, it'll all be taken care of. It's like, I, I, that, that, I, I don't like it. That was my favorite. That's my favorite. You, you liked that. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> all right most of its time quality i have a all right you go first on this one tom's wedding vow oh very good he says yeah. i still don't know what i've done to deserve you but whatever yeah, it is good, yeah. i'll keep doing it i actually feel like there's been the weddings i've been to 20th century versus 21st century i do resent how old i am that i can say that <laughs> <laughs> i really do think that there has been a shift that it's sort of unbecoming for men or one partner to say, I'm, I know I'm a huge piece of shit. Oh yes. Very up, much. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I, it's a miracle that you'll even breathe yeah. the same air as me. 
And I just think that's like an old thing that yeah, that we don't right. do anymore. No, it's it's like yeah, men are terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, yes. Uh, uh, mine was uh, seven of nine and her full body yoga pants. Oh, like, sure, that the cat is, suit. Yeah, that is, the cat suit is most of its time. <laughs> Jerry cannot breathe. No, she Jerry, cannot. She actually had Jerry. bruised ribs when she would yeah. wear that with the yeah, she, thing. Yeah, it's it's terrible. To that point, she does say, I do not wish to be dependent on anyone by mar- I didn't put this as a great line. Maybe it should be. By marrying one limits one's romantic interactions to oh, a yes. single individual, a circumstance that ex- implies extreme monotony. First of all, even though this is a fake seven of nine, right? if she is mimicking the seven of nine, the real one, this actually does set up seven of nine being into Rafi. Oh man, yeah. Oh, which totally. I think this line we just all forgot, or maybe we just thought, oh, because it's not it's the right here. Mind saying it. It's right it's here. It's right there in the text. Uh, this would be logical. She's not into monotony, or yeah, monogamy. Yeah, also yeah. monogamy. And I also don't. I also think it's most of its time though that it's like because seven of nine is always stating the extreme positions that the idea of not a woman not settling down is oh, yes, yes, is yes, like yes. as being. Uh, outlandish is most of its time so yeah uh, yes and also timeless in its and way. yes i mean today if you did that because people are so weird about sex especially in primetime television it might just be more like when balana throws out harry kim she'd be like no one on this ship yeah 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 that is how it would work <laughs> yeah that is uh and then uh, also it's kind of tied into the first one i had but tom Paris going to his sick wife and saying, how's my old lady? And she goes, oh well God. enough to break your nose. If you call me that again. Amazing. She could. Amazing. <laughs> the most realistic married couple in the history of track. I don't understand why he immediately. I know she's a, a uh, an intense, passionate Klingon. Yeah. And they're not old people. And yet he's immediately like, we're the old ball and chain. And we've been married for 30 years. And it's just like, man, Tom Paris, low T guy, not (laughs) wants to live in the past and just, just not move quickly. There's there's a lot of lifetime energy uh, uh, in in some of these interactions on this episode. (laughs) Tom Paris's favorite meal. Yeah. Yeah. Second favorite meal at eight (laughs) o'clock bedtime. Oh my God. Amazing. (laughs) He even comes into the into their quarters and he's like, it's too drafty in here. It's, oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah. It's literally like the Flintstones or the Jetsons. Yeah. All right. Uh, now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great yeah. lines. Yes. Yes. Uh, my favorite is, well, I had two. Uh, so I'll do one and then you will trade off. Okay. So my first good one is, is Bellana where she goes, I'm getting married. I'm not going into stasis. I like that one. <laughs> Seven of nine, given the volatile nature of their relationship, one might have predicted homicide rather than matrimony. Uh, like you said, a tableau, Great. corny. Yeah, I, I like seven of nine doing jokes. Doing, doing, that's funny. doing the thing yeah. that seven yeah. of nine does. Yeah. Uh, and then Tuvok, this is, for me, this was an all-timer. And I literally had to pause it and transcribe it. Uh, if we emit a poltron burst, we can disable their shields long enough to target their warp core. <laughs> Two boxes like it's logical to kill these fuckers. Fantastic. All about it. Seven of nine. I fail to see the benefit of monogamous relationships. (laughs) So good. Pre-Tumblr seven. (laughs) 
Uh, I have two more. Do you have any more? Yeah, go, please go. Uh, Janeway's, it should have been her final line, but because they always have to put technical jargon in there. Oh, right. Um, but when the deflector dish goes down and they're getting dust that's disrupting the warp core. Oh, yes. This, this her penultimate line. line. It's not her last line before it's, she dies, but amazing. it's the one right before she goes, we've come too far to be stopped by dust. And it's I think a, Mulgar actually does put a little spin on dust, but I just so thought it was a nice line. And then... I almost wrote that one down. <laughs> and then the real Janeway's last line, or what should have been the last line, but they still had to put the technical jargon in. The real Janeway says, make a note in the ship's record. We received a distress call at 0900 hours, arrived at the vessel's last known coordinates at 2120. The ship was destroyed. Cause unknown. No survivors. Which is great. Because she's yeah, a great really actor. Good. And she really can good. deliver everything. So. She can nail it. Nailed it. All right. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance, then. Who do you got? Uh, Kate Mulgrew for Best Performance by a Woman with Boogers on Her Face. It's Boogers. It's like... um. Guacamole. Like Nickelodeon gack. It's gack. It's just like they just tried everything. They just threw it at her face. <laughs> they threw it's all of it. It's a kitchen sink. And I do, I do, and I do want to point out the and because this is one of my bigger challenges, issues with the episode. Is everyone is so sleepy. Like, no, why is no one reacting in this episode? Not just in the writing, which I'm also upset about, but like a Paris is just yelling, and that's it. Like no, nobody is emotional. It's like at some point they decided as soon as they discovered that they were puddles of mud, they had no emotion, which also doesn't make any sense and doesn't track with the story elements. But like everyone, everyone's so sleepy. Why is everybody so sleepy? It was an interesting choice to make everyone tired. Everyone's tired. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Except for Tom Paris. No, right. He's still fired up and he's like, I hate that you're the captain. Yeah. So actually, Robert Duncan McNeil gets the Shatner for me. Yeah, a hundred percent. He yeah. also gets it from me. Yep. <laughs> no. Yep. <laughs> and then she's this. like, and then all of a sudden, like, Balan is dead, and you're like, what? What is? What? Yeah. 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 He's chewing some of that scenery a little bit. What part of this will they teach at Starfleet Academy? Now, none of it, because there's no record. Mine. Mine is uh, don't go to Demon Class Planets. <laughs> The whole I, every time they said it, I laughed out loud because I went, "Ah, oh, that's a subtle classification." It's Way in the name, guys. Yeah. Way to go, Starfleet. <laughs> uh, I will say this: Let's examine Starfleet training in action. Janeway could have destroyed that mining ship and didn't, she, and she didn't, and she's and not even the real Janeway. Uh, the real Voyager changed course to respond to a distress call. They didn't know who the distress call was from. Nope. You know, and then Janeway properly recorded the incident in the ship's log. So, yep. And by the way, that that uh, where you started there, that's my biggest note. And that's for me, that's what kind of breaks even the idea of this quote unquote tragic ending is this, is that they spend a lot of screen time and dialogue. They seem to be headed toward this idea thematically that even boogers with the memories of being Starfleet can be Starfleet. Yeah. And at the last minute, the storytellers decide, no, they can't. <laughs> like that, that's what the episode ends up doing. Like that's, I think that's what's kind of upsetting about it is that it, it starts out going, yeah. Cause then at some point you're rooting for Kim to, he's stepping up. He's in there. He's yeah, going to yeah. do it. And you're like, wow, start like Starfleet is so awesome. You know, getting in the army and Navy is so awesome. 
like even you know mashed potato people can be starfleet like level yeah. folks yeah. in outer space where it matters and then they go well maybe not anyways yeah. tra- it's super tragic <laughs> <laughs> you liked uh, spending time with the Voyager crew this week? Not really. Yeah. I did not, not really. Yeah. I mean, that, I, <laughs> yeah. I, and by the way, like that—that that was my big takeaway. Was like, it's a big middle finger. Like it, 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 it's there's there's an element of it which is like, yeah, you're invested in this. Up yours. See you next week, Voyager. Yeah, I think there is that idea. I mean, maybe they they went down those paths of like what they did kind of play with. What would the real crew do in the situation? And, you know, maybe because they, you know, I really think when Jerry Ryan came on board, UPN's direction was like, let's do less of the old lady. Cause this episode really was actually set up for this to be like a Janeway episode. If you think about it, like that's the most logical character to follow through this. Yeah, it is. And um, they didn't do it. All right. Could this episode have been hornier and would that have made it better? We didn't have this last time you were on. Yes and yes. (laughs) Tom Paris could have been a little less ball and chain and a little more. Let's get it on. He totally could have. Like instead of instead of Belana want like having that argument with seven of nine about how the engine's touchy. It could have been Tom Paris being like, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I haven't jerked off in a week. I'm ready. Honeymoon time. (laughs) Honeymoon yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Over here. Yeah, yeah. Holodeck, anyways. Yep. All right. So Trek, Marry, or Kill, Course Oblivion. Oh, my goodness. I would kill. You would kill it. Shouldn't have been made. Or it was like, I, I wrote down a lot of thoughts because I was conflicted, Brian. Well, let's hear them. Well, first I was like, well, we can't be married because this episode is anti-marriage and anti-throwing <laughs> rice. And I think your your question, rice is terrible in space. Rice is terrible. But I think your question, like, is it a big swing? And I think the answer is kind of, mm. is that it feels more like a big bunt. That's what it felt like to me. Where it was like, they're faking, they're like, yeah! And then they're like, uh-huh. It like, was a reverse like, butcher boy. It was. It, it was. <laughs> they didn't it pull was. the bat back. They, they look like they're going to swing, and then they bent. It was a and, and I think that's play. what the like you know the the sizzler salad bar sneeze guard shot at the end. That's why I think it feels like a cue. <laughs> is like like this is. It's almost like they're saying like this is what you get for almost kind of investing in our booger crew, and that to me feels untrack. And that, also like, though impressive that they were able to that the only way that they could write this is how you know show's been on a long time that the more interesting episodes are the ones that are the toss it in the trash it doesn't matter mm-hmm. like this one doesn't count we're just doing this to fill because it seems interesting yeah, yeah. but i think it but i think that's that's what it has the shape of that it has the trappings of that but the i i would argue that they don't stick the landing if they stuck the landing that's then why i don't, I don't give know. it a mary yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah go ahead no, I mean, I just had it. I was yeah. c- bouncing back and forth between Trek or Mary. I kind of feel like the fact that it sticks with you after you see it mm-hmm. for the moment, let's just say, take the positive and negative out. It does yeah. make you think, and it certainly raises, makes you think about things that are not in the episode. But I think we've also admitted they get close. They There's do. a couple of moments. The, they do. They some do. of the thoughts, the questions we're asking are born yeah. of the text. 
That's very true. So I, I, but I agree. It doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't stick the landing, uh, as, uh, as they intended it does, but does it stick right. the landing of what they actually maybe unbeknownst to them, or maybe yeah. the network said, no, you're not doing that. They did dance away from what it was really getting at. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I think they did. They, like, but I they, still like, think it was a, it was a really, we're talking about the performances. Oh, I, yeah. I think there's a lot of interesting tension, the questions, I think yeah. the camp that you're the one that's raised this issue. Yeah. One of the campiest episodes of Star Trek. That's saying something. Agreed. Um, agreed. Agreed. I mean, this I like is, and, and it has moments where this is, you know, this is hornier than Riker at times. So, <laughs> so there's like, there's elements of this where you're like, this is, this is Trek. Like this is, you know, feels yes. like real Trek, but I, I think, you know, and it deserves some credit a hundred percent. But I, I think that it's like at the end of the day, quote unquote it's like i'm thinking about how it's neither fish nor fowl and mm-hmm. I, and i think that you know your take on you know it's a horror movie right this is a horror thing it's a great example of a horror movie because as a horror fan myself it's like <laughs> i have spent a lot of time and effort defending things that are neither fish nor fowl the where mm-hmm. the the where the you know the reach exceeds its grasp and a lot of horror is defined by that it has a high concept and it doesn't quite stick the landing so in some ways this is right in line with with its high concept horror brethren for that reason alone like it's got this wonky idea that makes you think and you go whoa and there's moments where it kind of brushes past legitimate emotion and feels earned and then when you finally sit down and do the math, you're like, I'm not so sure. And your friends are like, why did we rent this horror movie again? <laughs> Which, as you can imagine, I've heard lots of times in my life. I've, I've been one of those friends. I mean, not you for have, you, but I've said that many you, a time. <laughs> you have said that before. Yes. yes. <laughs> you're raising a great point because... Now you mentioned that line, let's say, well, yeah, why yeah. am I invested at all? It's because it does have Star Trek slapped on the side. There so to go. me, this is like almost an experimental episode of Star Trek. Yes. And you, by virtue of watching much more genre and horror, you get to be like, well, I'm going to more firmly contextualize it in the larger canon yeah. and where it sits. And because it's a Star Trek, I'm going to hold that against it instead yeah. of for it. Yeah. Yeah, because I hold it to its own standard, and I think one of the things, like you, you know, we were talking uh, b- before we did record, we we're talking about Halloween, and yeah. the idea of like, you know, often in horror, the worst of its kin is, is the standard bearer. You know, it 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 is it's rare. You know, people tend to judge horror by the the least of its uh, components. And, and the least uh, accomplished or artistic of, of you know, its ilk. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's the bastard stepchild of cinema often. So, so, like, you know, when you're looking at Trek, man, there's a lot of standard bears, right? There's, there's a lot, and, and that standard is pretty high. But, I mean, again, that's what's interesting about this episode is that it was most of a big swing and had mm-hmm. some interesting ideas. And again, it's like if someone came in and pitched, it's like, okay, okay, the crew starts dying. It's not the crew. They have to figure it out. 
all the way up until that point, I think it's like, it's really kind of interesting. And then some of these choices start to become a little more suspect where you're like, wait, why the planet? Wait, why? Like one of the things I wrote down is like, why didn't they reach out to Voyager sooner? Like that's Mm -hmm. the, one of the things I wrote down was um, like, I feel like seven would have asked that earlier in the story, but she disappears from the story for a really long time. And I wonder like, because it's almost like it's too logical. Like they, they actually put it in at like the midpoint of the episode and Janeway dismisses it. And then right. 10 minutes later, she's the one who suggests they do it. So right. that felt like a writerly solution where they're like, oh, we got to bandaid this. Like, I mean, they bit. just they would have the memories of the episode where Harry Kim's able to talk to seven of nine back in time, you know, and like so she's like, if there's another seven of nine out there, we can my do exact it. same Borg signature. Yeah. We can yeah. send a message. Totally. To her. No, I, that's true. But I mean, we're bringing up all these technical things when I think if they had yeah. dug deeper with the emotions, we wouldn't be asking those questions. A hundred percent. If we were I swept think be- along, if we yes. were swept along, I agree. Yeah. And I think that gets, there's just nothing there. So that's why I'm like, but I, you're raising great points. So where do you land? You're going to, you're still with kill. And we'll yeah, be I think so. Like, like just, okay. just because I bet you, we could point to other experimental episodes yeah. That that maybe are bigger swings that that do some of this better. All right. Well, we're gonna let the audience break the tie between a <laughs> trek and a kill for course oblivion. Uh I'm so glad we got to talk about this one though. And yeah, great choice, uh, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. Again, sorry, didn't realize I was foisting it on you. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Because you you really were like oh, Wow, that was that was really something you sent me, Brian. It was thanks, Brian. <laughs> yeah. You're like, think Gosh, about I'm that sending today. you into season five. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's Brian Fuller, so it's gonna be interesting, right? And it certainly yeah. was. I would say. It certainly uh, was. It certainly was. You've got the last comics on Earth, too many oh, villains yes. coming out in April. Yeah, April, April 30th. This is the second book. So listeners out there who, you know, have kids eight to twelve who are into comics. This is the second book in the Last Comics on Earth series. It's a spinoff of The Last Kids on Earth, featuring uh, kids at the end of the world in an apocalypse, and they realize that they have read all of the comics that have ever been published. And what do you do when your favorite issue is never going to be continued? You write and draw your own comic book with your best friends. And that is what The Last Comics on Earth is all about. And in our latest, this is book two, We've got two more coming. Um, in this one, they decide, what does every sequel need? It needs more villains, bigger action, more comedy. And it kind of, the story runs away with them in a, a completely insane way. And that's where you get too many villains. That's great. So check that out in April. That sounds really cool. <laughs> and so it's funny to like compare that to you're writing these stories uh, with these big ideas about villains. And then I bring you in this Star Trek Voyager and, and you're like, wait a minute, I have to d- grapple with story and <laughs> payoffs all the time. And, all the stuff. and here we go. They, they introduced an amazing idea. <laughs> what did they get into? <laughs> yes, literally. Like that's, I mean, that, I mean, that's always the thing, right? It's because you're like, dealing with the end of the world. <laughs> so all the time, all the time on this series. Uh, yeah. Mark, uh, Max Brawlier, the original last kid series 
has all those big stakes. Um, and uh, Doug Holgate, the illustrator, they've been working together for years. Um, uh, we've got Jay Cooper illustrating this series because it's actually done from the point of view of the kids. Um, but I mean, I, I, I'll tell you right now, like a lot of this story process and, and, and why I kind of am paying attention to all of these things is that that's what we got to do when we were building too many villains. Like we have to make sure that we're setting up the villain plot and then we're paying all that stuff off at the end. So it's satisfying. Cause I, I tell you what, as tough as 45 year olds are on their entertainment, a 10 year old is 10 times as tough, man. And yeah. if we don't stick that landing, oh, that stings. They, they, those kids are not coming back if we don't uh, stick listen, that Eric, landing. Absolutely, and and kids have the the tingle. They have the story sense. They, yeah, you know, it, it gets hammered down into their attention spans. But it's like, no, if they, they're like adults. If they feel like their time's being wasted then they'll just drift away or if they feel like they're being tricked or whatever. They check all the way out and that's yep. it. Man. Yeah. Listener, you've got uh, my friend who went to USC film school might've given me the entire um, curriculum in one sentence just to save you all some money. But Josh is touching on this and the Star Trek Voyager episode mentions it. The essence of screenwriting is setups and payoffs. That's it. That's really all it boils down to. Obviously, it's a little more difficult than it sounds, but yeah. this one has a setup. Did it pay off the setup? Uh, no, probably maybe, not. Maybe not. We've got some setups and some offs. Yeah. That's yeah. what we've but, got. Uh, so that's Star Trek Voyager's Course Oblivion, but uh, we're not done this week. We've got in a few days, uh, Katie Hampton's going to return to help me with our animated spotlight for the month. It'll be oh, fantastic. Two- Star Trek Lower Decks, we're doing two episodes, Cupid's Errant Arrow and Terminal Provocations. We got Badgie making his first appearance there. Um, And then next week, we're going to have Andrew Bloom return from Slash Film and The Spool, and he's going to help me judge another big swing, The Savage Curtain from the original series. Rad. Abraham Lincoln in space. Come on. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and you can check out trekmarykillpod.com. For our standings, Josh, thank you again for coming back. It was great to have you on. Oh, thank Uh, you. Thanks for asking, Brian. It was a total blast. All right. And out there, listeners, until next time, TMK out. 